0: This week, we're beginning part one of the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame in our series on limit breaks. In part one, we'll be mainly focused on the Infinity War part of the story arc, where we'll look at how Thanos seeks to break through his own limits that he finds in the universe. Thanos is singularly focused on saving the universe through his ideal solution of getting rid of 50% of the life forms in the universe in order to save the resources so that the others can survive. And we can kind of empathize with Thanos in Infinity War. He's gone through a lot of pain in his life. We see how his world Titan is destroyed due to lack of resources and overcrowding. And Thanos is really just looking to the past, trying to solve for that past pain. On Wonder Tour, we have this concept of sacrifice being the key to push us past a limit. Sacrifice allows us to complete a loop or complete a circuit that otherwise we aren't able to get past. So we see this concept in Infinity War of we don't trade lives. Vision wants to sacrifice himself to destroy the Mind Stone, but the rest of the team will not let him, even though that might be a solution to the current problem that they're facing. And what we see here is contrasted with the way that Thanos operates, because Thanos is willing to sacrifice someone else, mainly his daughter Gamora in order to accomplish his purpose. Thanos really values his purpose over the people around him, including his own daughter. And when we sacrifice somebody else, what we're really doing is sacrificing our own character. And it's not just that simple, but when we make a sacrifice like Thanos, sacrificing someone else, we really lock ourselves in to continuing down that path. Now we've paid a great price, and so we get locked into that path of destruction. Thanos' hyper focus on completing his mission leaves the people around him in ruins. So, how do we as leaders avoid putting some grand purpose over promoting and protecting the people around us? And how do we avoid becoming like Thanos, where we might accomplish a mission, but we give up ourselves and our character and the people that we love along the way?
1: Welcome to Wonder Tour. All right, let's get to it. I'm Brian, and I'm back here with Drew talking about the Avengers Infinity War. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of movie here the Infinity Stones arc and multiple phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe sort of converging to a solution in this sequence. So, what did you like about this, Drew? Why why are we talking about these movies and how did they strike you?
0: I think these movies are perfect to bring in when you want to talk about limit breaks, especially when we're early in the Limit Break series and trying to understand a little more about the mechanics of Limit Breaks. Because these movies really have this high level of complexity to a problem that's being solved. A level of complexity that when it's introduced in a superhero movie outside of some crazy saga that has all of these different movies kind of leading into it, would appear just too much to comprehend. And that's really what makes these movies, Infinity War and Endgame, special to me, is the level of layering of the characters, the interactions between the characters, the different powers that the characters have, and Hero's Journey, each of them has been on in their own right. It all builds up in a way that we've really never seen in cinema before. Because it's allowed for by this super long-form Marvel Cinematic Universe that has all of these interactions drawn out between the characters, the character development drawn out over so many hours that by the time you reach this point, the team is really able to do something highly complex and make it seem simple because they don't have to worry so much about the character development. They don't have to worry so much about building up each character's relationship. They can just just keep hitting the greatest hits and just keep hitting the play button and just letting the characters interact and just build this awesome story in front of us.
1: Yeah, if you were uh If you were five years old or, you know, eight years old and you came in and watched this movie cold with no Marvel Cinematic Universe history, there would be lots of big explosions and people punching each other and cool things happening on screen and you'd probably be fine, right? (laughs) You know, if you were anywhere between like eight years old and, you know, any age above that and you came into this movie cold, it wouldn't make any sense at all. Like there's all this stuff happening. There's all these too many characters to keep track of, too many subplots, too many inside jokes and Easter eggs it would be difficult to enjoy a lot of these things that happen because they rely so much on the past but that's also a thing that has been rarely done is storytelling on this scale with this cultural resonance that so many people sort of have a 10-15 year long relationship with these characters with the elements of this story with the nuances of their relationships and so yeah that sort of that storytelling arc relationship is difficult to do in another medium and even in a trilogy you could never pull off this level of complexity because you just don't have time to introduce all of the moving parts it's not in itself the perfect movie but as the conclusion of an effort to really build an immersive world it's pretty impressive and they play a lot of really strong notes along the way and we get to some really cool payoffs throughout So I want to bring up a little bit about Thanos here.
0: I think one of the things that people really take away from this movie that I've heard is how good of a villain Thanos really is. If you're ranking the MCU villains, Thanos is almost certainly ranking number one. I can see how people might put Loki near there. I think Loki also kind of fits the mold of being both this chaotic slash evil character while also having some empathy to him. And then you could potentially, you could put, I think, Gore, Christian Bale's character. I think if that character got more run from Thor Love and Thunder, that that character could have also made the kind of pantheon of Marvel villains but Thanos is different because while maybe you can poke some holes in his logic and how he's thinking here, you're really able to empathize with him and you get these kind of human moments that are drawn out over the course of a couple movies and that really come to a culmination in Infinity War.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. When I think about the characters that we've talked about on Wonder Tour that most resemble Thanos, the one I keep coming back to is probably Thorin from the, uh, the Hobbit movies, right? Who's not a villain we use Thorin to talk about the archetype of the leader who's so focused on a mission that he will potentially put the people around him in danger. And Thanos is that amped up to 11, right? He's he's an exaggerated version of that, but it's kind of the same, you know, he's sympathetic and charismatic in the sense that he's very clear on the mission and it has at least some logical underpinning and that he is, as we talk about through the course of this movie, you see him making difficult or uncomfortable or painful decisions because he's so committed to his mission and that element of it i think is the thing that we can all light up on we can all aspire to you know or or imagine aspiring to this is the one thing that's most important to me in my life and i'm going to commit myself to it and i will change the universe with the force of my will like that's you know it's a very marvel villain level of it but it's also a thing that you can kind of see and get and he's not just like cackling and twirling his mustache Like the Nazis in Casablanca, right? Like they're not they're not supposed to be sympathetic, right? You know, we're here because we're supposed to be in charge and we're gonna murder all the people that disagree with us. He's not hateful. He's not disagreeing at this point with anybody. He's just like, Oh, I see the world more clearly than everybody else, and thus I must be the one to act. Yeah, his way of
0: thinking is in some ways he falls into that ideologue category that we always talk about here, where he's reduced things to a single dimension. In other ways, maybe he hasn't, and he is able to really see the complexity and the pain and the the growth and all these different parts of the universe. And he's almost just given himself too narrow of a problem to solve. And this isn't really the point of this episode, but I do think it's worth looking at that for a minute here, that Thanos is kind of, he's solving the problem like, how might we reduce human resource utilization across the universe? I know they're not all humans, but I think for we can kind of act like they're all humans for this Wander tour. And that almost isn't even the question that really needs to be asked. What if Thanos is just solving the wrong problem the entire time? And as a result, he comes to the wrong solution.
1: Yeah, I would almost suggest that it's not that he's solving the wrong problem. He has correctly identified a real problem, right? He has observed it in his past that not enough resources and too many sentient beings consuming them is a problem, right? Like that's, that's a real thing. From a solution standpoint, like you're trying to optimize it around one metric, (laughs) If if we use business language, right? If you're a business and you only care about one thing, you will inevitably distort the shape of your business. If you're doing a mathematical optimization and you only optimize around one variable, you will inevitably distort the shape of the resulting product. So you can you can certainly imagine, right, that if you're running a business and the only thing you care about is cutting costs. Some of us have worked in that environment from time to time. Right. You get in you get in a recession or you get in a, some sort of a run on the market and everybody wants to save money. It's a completely reasonable thing to do as a we should focus on this for a little while. It's a good skill. Right. Like, oh, we should make sure we're not doing anything stupid. We should not spend money on things we shouldn't spend money on. But if the only thing you care about is cutting costs, then it's very easy to say, well, we shouldn't spend money on anything. Right. We should stop doing all things because all things cost money as a business. Right. <laughs> right? And that's and that's a dead end. Right. That just spirals down into you do fewer and fewer things. And so you bring less and less money in. And so you have less and less money to spend. So you have to cut more money like it's a, it's a dead end spiral. That's one version of the single axis optimization failure. Another version is I've been listening to in the wake of the FTX crypto exchange collapse, as we're recording this here in December of twenty two. In the wake of that, I've been listening to some stuff about the Enron fiasco years ago, which was larger in scale, but had some comparable content, right? And just an organization that is solely focused on making the balance sheet looking like it has more money on it right? and doesn't care about anything else at all can go down some pretty bad rabbit holes. It can, you can just get yourself into more and more and more trouble where you're just moving money around to look like money is moving, but it's all the same money and you've lent it out seven different ways or taking credit for it seven different ways. So Thanos is the Marvel villain, you know, exaggerated version of that. But he's got only the one thing that he cares about. And his solution is, you know, somewhere between elegant and crude. <laughs> like, oh, great. We'll just have fewer people, right? I'm the only being in the universe that can perceive this problem. And I'm going to decide on all of their behalfs what the solution is. And I'm not going to balance that against anything else. I'm not going to balance it against morality. I'm not going to balance it against practicality. I'm not going to balance it against getting another point of view. He's locked into a point of view. Yeah, and he falls into
0: the slippery slope of logic trap. At least that's what I call it. Or maybe you could call it like the slippery slope of relative logic. There's other more narrow parts of models like moral justification and things like that that people have done a lot of studies on to try to understand why do humans act in suboptimal ways. And I think he really falls right into that. But like you said, it's almost because he's singularly focused on a single metric that he starts to just kind of justify to himself the actions that he has to take. He justifies it based on his past. He's gone through this great pain, and so he doesn't see any reason why other people aren't capable of going through a great pain as well and going through that suffering. He justifies it based on the fact that he's seen worlds in his own life get destroyed by overutilization or overcrowding. And so he says, I don't want to see that happen again. He ends up making himself this arbitrator for everyone else, and he calls himself Inevitable. If he's at the point where he's calling himself inevitable, he has probably put himself in too high of a position in terms of being a solution for the universe.
1: Yeah, well, inevitable is a, you know, it's it's a causality word, right? Like it's these things in the past have happened. Therefore, this thing in the future must happen. There's only one sequence that can occur. So so calling himself fate. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay, so let's let's get towards our mountaintop here. Then let's talk about this psychological peril of doubling down. So frame it up for us. What's a, what, what do we want to talk about as the Thanos? We don't usually do this with the villains, right? But we're going to use our limit break example with the antagonist here. So what's Thanos' limit break and what does this mean for his journey? So Thanos in Infinity War, his
0: greatest challenge, I would say, in terms of gathering one of the Infinity Stones, is to be able to get the Soul Stone. He doesn't know where the Soul Stone is and he's really been employing Gamora and Nebula to go find the Soul Stone, it seems like, for a long time at this point. And he was told that they didn't know where the Soul Stone was, but it turns out that Gamora actually did. And so eventually he has enough leverage on Gamora because she is not willing to sacrifice Nebula when Thanos is torturing Nebula. Gamora gives in. She's not willing to trade lives, and she takes Thanos to the Soul Stone, thinking that, you know, it's inevitable anyway that he was going to get to the Soul Stone, so she may as well do it and save Nebula. When she gets there, what she finds is that there's a riddle that needs to be solved, and the riddle is that Thanos has to give up something that he loves, and of course Gamora has the moment where she laughs it off because she's like, you don't have anything that you love. And you see Thanos, who is truly very pained to have to do this, has to take Gamora at Voromir at the edge of this cliff and throw her off of it in order to gain the soul stone. And you really get this classic biblical analogy here of like, what is it worth if you gain the world and forfeit your soul? Because it's literally a soul for a soul trade that's (laughs) happening here. Thanos is trading his soul for the soul stone. He's having to trade his character for the soul stone. And afterwards, he is changed. Thanos gets changed every time he gets one of the Infinity Stones and I think they did an awesome job in this movie of showing how that happens and how he then leverages his power differently and engages with the Avengers differently once he gets each individual stone. But the Soul Stone is different because he does not get the Soul Stone in battle. He does not get the Soul Stone from one of the Avengers. He gets the Soul Stone by sacrificing himself and Gamora in order to be able to get it. And I think this is where we really want to focus our energy today is looking at what happens when you pursue purpose over people and you sacrifice somebody in order to get your purpose. Because I don't think it's just as simple as saying, in the moment, the end justifies the means, is it?
1: Well, that's certainly the sentiment in the moment. But then the, I think the psychological risk of this, right, is that once you've made that sacrifice, once you've done something hard once or something painful once or given up something valuable in the service of this future goal, it locks you in further. Like you said, with the stones, we kind of see this spiral and we see him here, right? You know, he's willing to torture one of his daughters to get his other daughter to tell him where something is. And then he's willing to sacrifice that daughter to get the thing. And then that's only part way towards the goal. So then he's going to just keep doubling down. He's going to keep escalating because now it's a sunk cost fallacy, right? Now he couldn't possibly back off because that would invalidate the sacrifice that he's made. It would invalidate the, you know, the hard decisions that he's had to make. And so this is a real thing, right? You know, we all make decisions about where to spend our time, where to spend our money, where to spend our efforts in our career years. And you can fall into the trap of, well, I did this really hard thing, or I gave up this opportunity, or I missed time with my family to do this thing. Therefore, this thing must be important. Therefore, I should spend more time on it. Right? It is. And, and it's easy and, to make that feel like it's about somebody else because well, it would virtuous. be easy
0: for Thanos to try to make that the righteous case that Wookamora has already sacrificed for this. So now I need to see it through to completion. And that would be a logical trap to fall into going back to the slippery slope of logic is that is a very selfish way to think about it. Gamora's sacrifice will not be in vain when, no, Thanos was the one who sacrificed. Thanos made the decision of the sacrifice. What was sacrificed was equally Gamora and Thanos' character. His character became more evil when he made that decision. Up until that point, it seems like there was a path for Thanos to just lay down the gauntlet, potentially, for Thanos to just decide not to snap his fingers or something. But it wasn't for Gamora's sake that he now has to snap his fingers. It's for his own sake, because he now has doubled down on his pain. Those neurological pathways in his head have been opened up. The channel is deepened. And so now in the future, it becomes easier and easier for him to sacrifice someone else in order to get to his purpose.
1: Right. Because at the same time, you close off other options. The other options become less available to you. It's harder to go, you know, you've made the hard decision, you can't go back, but also you've sort of doubled down in this direction. And so you can't easily consider other options, right? When he doesn't have any of the stones yet, getting all the stones is an ambitious way to solve this ridiculous problem that he's identified. But once he's down that path and he's taken the hard way there, then it's much less likely. And I think that's a risk, right? That's a risk that you can recognize in yourself of because you've made a hard decision to do something doesn't necessarily mean that it's still a good idea, but also just the idea of closing off the doors, closing off the other channels that you have to the point where the channel that remains becomes more important than all the people around you. We don't usually do the what if on the back half here, but now that we've gotten to our mountaintop, let's introduce the contrast course, because in the movie like this, you're going to have the, the contrasting worldviews. So we've got at the end of the movie, Thanos collecting most of the stones and the Avengers coming together to try, to try to take them away from him. And the last two that they've got to protect are the time stone that Strange has and then the stone in Vision's forehead as well. So Doctor Strange, at the kind of penultimate moment of the battle, has to decide when they've failed to defeat him, they haven't quite pulled their plan together, He has to decide whether to let Thanos kill Tony Stark, Iron Man, or to give up the time stone that he's been hiding throughout. So what does that decision look like? And How does his decision, you know, kind of reflect a different worldview or a different mindset than what we saw with Thanos? Well, once again, and I love this, we
0: see Dr. Strange playing the game theory game. Dr. Strange is, well, he has his arcane power to be able to like simulate all the outcomes almost and see where they all end up. But Doctor Strange has a different view on leadership than Thanos does. And that conflicting view is going to make for our main lesson for this episode, because Doctor Strange recognizes that we don't trade lives. That's the theme of this movie. It's very out in front. We don't trade lives. He's not willing to give up Stark's life in order to save the time stone, which that seems counterintuitive when you're trying to achieve a limit break, right? Thanos already has four of the stones at this point you're coming up against a really hard limit. Defeating Thanos with one of the stones would already be extremely hard. But so defeating Thanos when he's already got four of the stones, I mean, you're talking about a task that's almost impossible. So how are you going to break that limit? Conventional wisdom would suggest we should hold on to the stones that we have and leverage them against Thanos in a clever way in order to beat him. But Once again, Stephen Strange comes in with a new way of thinking about things. And he suggests that we can't lose another leader. We can't lose another hero. We have to save Tony Stark here because the outcome is going to depend on him. And it's going to depend more on the ability of the leader to work together with the other leaders than it is on having some arcane object.
1: Yeah, no, this is great. And I I love the elements that are kind of in here, right? That Thanos's his motivation and his goals are all about resources. There aren't enough resources in the universe, therefore we need fewer people, and I'm going to solve that problem by collecting all the most powerful resources to myself and making the decision myself and wiping them out, right? Whereas Stephen Strange's decision is I'm going to prioritize two things over resources. The time stones is really powerful resource that, you know, that I that I probably shouldn't give up. Coincidentally, it's the color of money. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to prioritize first people. I'm going to preserve the people that I care about and the people who are leaders, right? I'm going to preserve taking care of Tony Stark and the rest of the Avengers right here in this moment, because I'm going to trust that they will open up the future. I'm going to trust that there are more versions of the future that could happen. There are more potential things that could solve this problem. The more people are engaged in solving it. I, Stephen Strange, am not personally the only one who can solve the problem but I might be the one that can see where some of the options are. He ends up sacrificing himself, although I guess he's sort of rolling the dice on whether or not that's what happens. But I love that Thanos is all about resources and Strange's insight is not that we should one by one fight him for resources forever, but that we should preserve people and we should preserve options for the future.
0: One of the things that we run into sometimes here on the Wonder Tour is the paradox between me and others, where I want to make a great impact on the world for the good of others. And thus, that kind of gets funneled through me in the way that we operate as humans in the universe. You kind of have this paradox between well if i want to be a good leader for the good of others then it has to be about me but it can't be about me (laughs) and so i think there's a good takeaway here that the magnanimous team is more important than the magnanimous leader because dr strange by this point has really become this great trusted magnanimous leader everybody looks up to him he has immense power he wields the power with wisdom and his choice here is to protect the team and to trust that the team will create in the future in ways that he can't see the how, right? He can just see that there's you know, 14 million potential branches of this timeline or something and that only one of them is successful and he can see that Tony's there at the end. He has no idea how. He has to trust the team with the how that even when he's not there, that the team is going to continue to operate. And that's really hard as a magnanimous leader. That's that's the hard part about getting to like a capital M magnanimous status, if you could ever get to that as a human. It's getting to the point where you trust people, you trust the team to be able to move things forward without you. Even though you've been critical up to this point, you trust that the team can move it forward without you.
1: No, that's really good. Again, Thanos is perceiving problems in the world and trying to solve them by accumulating personal power and deploying personal willpower and putting all of the decisions on himself. That's his worldview. And so the Avengers team worldview, the Doctor Strange worldview is I'm going to try to combat that. I'm going to try to solve this problem in the universe with insight, not power, but insight, seeing more clearly and at a higher level what's going on and what the options are ahead of us. And by... Empowering other people by preserving as many people as possible to have their own influence on the world.
0: Yeah, you basically just said wisdom is greater than power at the end there. Maybe wisdom is power, but well, in the, it's, in the it's, end,
1: yeah, the, br- <laughs> the brute power, right? You know, it's, it's we'll talk a lot about not only the worldviews but sort of the insight piece in, in in the second episode, but in this one, I just I like that contrast, and I like you know in our example earlier, if you're in a business where resources are becoming scarce. Like literally, you've got you've got the Doctor Strange decision, right? Should I spend my money and empower my people to try to make us a better business, or should I lay them off and stop paying them so that I can keep my money? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, like yeah. literally, people are faced with this decision in you know in very practical ways on a regular basis in leadership challenges, whether it's a business or any other kind of organization that you might lead. But the decision of preserving valuable resources over finding ways to empower your people to go get more resources or to go find a better solution or to go make the organization better. You know, it's not that no organization has ever overhired and shouldn't write. <laughs> like sometimes that might be the right solution, but the sense of resources are more important than people or purpose is more important than people is really dangerous. Like you said, it leads you to sacrifice character. I think you said really well. And once you, once you've started in the habit of that, then that's the leader you are. And that's maybe not the magnanimous leader that we are striving to envision and to describe and become in the Wonder Tour.
0: So to kind of wrap this up with some key takeaways here, Brian, I want to climb up and down the mountain and you'll kind of see what I mean when we go through this here. So our key takeaways are just thinking about purpose and people and really how are we balancing them in our own lives? Are we being like Thanos where we're valuing purpose over people? or Are we operating more on a Doctor Strange level, where we value people. And with that, just thinking about the decisions that we make, like our mountaintop moment on Voromir for Thanos, where he chooses to sacrifice Gamora, and in doing so, he sacrifices his character, and he locks himself into this path of destruction that eventually leads to his own ruin and to the ruin of a lot of people that he cares about. We had these three axioms. We had people over resources the magnanimous team over the magnanimous leader, and then wisdom over power. And I think that's great in this huge galactic conflict here to talk about these. And I want to actually, what I was saying about going up the mountain and down the mountain again here, I want to go backwards through them now. So if wisdom is greater than power, then wisdom comes through the perspectives of the team, the experience and the collective intelligence and ability to solve problems of the team, not of the leader. So we need to put the team first before the leader. And if we're going to put the team first, then that eventually comes down to people over resources. It means we need to invest what we have in protecting our people and in growing our people versus in growing our resources. Because if our goal is to get to that wisdom over power so that we can transform, so that we can make it past and do a limit break, then the only way that we're going to do that is starting with people.
1: I love it. And I love that where we started with our limit break conversation in the previous episode, we were talking about the video game analogy of filling up your power bar and getting ready to release it, right? You know, it's like this cathartic moment of like, ah, I've leveled up, I'm the next level Pokemon or whatever. But the idea that we want to not just do that or necessarily do that for ourselves, but that the more people we can empower those limit breaks, the more we can distribute their individual agency around the world, the much better chance we have of like we got to unite them with vision and mission and sense of purpose but we also got to unite them with this magnanimous purpose i like your magnanimous team coinage here this is great and that in the end is
0: wander tour exactly that is we are trying to create better leaders so that people have the wisdom in order to make a better world we're not trying to push forward some axis so that that axis can become everything. We're trying to distribute the wisdom across a bunch of leaders so that it's not up to us, so that we don't have to move the world forward and create love in the world by ourselves, so that we can distribute that ownership across humanity.
1: Yeah, and the, you know, power is a real thing, resources are a real constraint, but they are in service of the insight. They're in service of seeing the potential futures and empowering people to perceive them and challenging them to have a magnanimous worldview on the way there. Love it. That's good stuff. All right, so we've got all that on board now. We've got a new sense of the constraints of resources and the sacrifices that you make towards your goals and the importance of wisdom and building the magnanimous team. Now we're going to talk about how those implications play out in a real contrast in mindsets and strategies in episode two where we talk about endgame and we're going to focus on unlocking limit breaks not with power but with perspective so we really hope you enjoyed the ride with us and you'll come back for the next one thanks everyone as always and just remember as we demonstrated once again character is destiny